Good morning, church family. I am excited about bringing this lesson to you. I'm Paul Chastain, a teacher of Sunday School Department A52, and I appreciate the opportunity to bring this week's Explore the Bible lesson to you from Luke chapter 19. I'm especially excited this Sunday because it's Palm Sunday, and our lesson will be on that topic, on Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem at the beginning of Holy Week. Hope you've all had a great week leading up to this and are looking forward to celebrating Good Friday and uh, Easter next weekend, as our family is. And before we begin our lesson and uh, dig into the scripture, let's open with a word of prayer and ask the Lord to bless our time in his word. Lord, thank you so much for your presence as we study your word. You are the Lord of all, a great and merciful God. You have poured out your grace and blessings on us, even though we're not worthy. You have blessed us in so many different ways. Thank you for your word given to us to to show us how to to live for you. And thank you for for loving us in spite of our our failings and, and when we fall short. Thank you for our church and for our staff who's led us through this uh, struggle, difficult year that we've been going through. Thank you for the ability we have to, to reach out with this technology and those who support it to, to those who can't be in, in church right now. Most of all, thank you for the salvation we have in you, for the, the opportunity we have to be part of your, your plan and part of your family. And I just pray that we will have an open heart and open ears to listen to, to what you have to say to us out of the scripture today. In Christ's name, amen. As I introduce uh, this lesson in Luke, if you'll please open up your copy of God's Word and turn to chapter 19 of Luke. Uh, we're in the, the second part of Luke, our, our second quarter actually, of studying uh, the book of Luke. And the, the change from the first quarter to this quarter really is that in Luke chapter 9, there was a turning point where Luke has been hyper-focused the second half of the book on Christ making his way to his appointment with Calvary and with the cross. And in fact, he says it plainly in Luke 9, 51, when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. So we've been studying that for several weeks now. And in fact, we've seen the topics that Christ has emphasized to his disciples, which obviously were the important ones that he wanted to get across and make sure were firm in their memory as he had his last time on earth with them uh, before the cross and, and the resurrection. A couple of weeks ago, we saw the parable of the prodigal son, and we must recognize uh, from that lesson uh, that our sin must be recognized to accept the Lord's grace. Last week, we studied the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector and uh, saw how we must have a heart of humility and childlike faith to be usable for Christ's kingdom. And we also looked at the importance of genuine prayer and just honest, open discussion uh, with Christ and with our Lord. These are important lessons, and he's been trying to kind of pound them into his disciples' head as he moves closer to Calvary. Also, Jesus has shared multiple times with his disciples his Father's plan for him. And uh, they don't quite get it. In fact, they don't get it at all. But he's continued to remind them uh, that, that he's going to Jerusalem for a specific purpose. Before we get into today's scripture, uh, let's look back 
one page to chapter 18 and look at uh, one of these, Christ's prophetic words to his disciples as he prepares them for what's to come in Luke uh, 18, verses 31 through 34. Now he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all the things that have been written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be ridiculed and abused and spit upon. And after they had flogged him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. The disciples understood none of these things. And the meaning of this statement was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. Here Christ is laying the groundwork for the disciples to later understand and remember his words, but they really don't get it at all right now, and they they certainly won't until after the crucifixion when they start thinking about what he had told them. This week, we're we're just coming right on the cusp of Holy Week. Uh, We're up to the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So if you'll flip back to chapter 19, uh, we'll look specifically at verses 29 through 40. We're just one week prior to Easter and prior to his resurrection. Just one week, or less than a week now, till his crucifixion. And there's a huge crowd, including Jesus, coming to Jerusalem for the purpose of the, the festival of Passover. So it's a crowded place. There are lots of people in town. And as he approaches Jerusalem, the tension with the religious leaders, which has been building over the last months, has reached a fever pitch. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees, are looking for an opportunity to get rid of him, to kill him. And today's passage covers that entry into Jerusalem and all that comes along with that. Not not an entry as a warrior king, which he'll be coming back as when he returns again, but as a king of peace as the Savior, as the Redeemer. So follow along in God's Word as I read the whole passage, uh, Luke 19, 29 through 40. Starting in verse 29, when he approached Bethphage and Bethany near the mountain that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you, as there you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent left, and they found it as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And they threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. Now as he was going, they were spreading their cloaks on the road. And as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice, shouting for all the miracles which they had seen. Blessed is the King, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And yet, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus replied, I tell you, if these stop speaking, the stones will cry out. Let's review these verses and go back and kind of break them down into teachable chunks and see what we can learn from God's word. First, let's go back and look at uh, the first part, verses 29 through 40, where Jesus sent two of his disciples, we don't know which, to accomplish what 
probably seemed to them a, a pretty small and insignificant task of getting a colt from the next village, which was likely uh, Bethpage, just, which is just on the east side of the Mount of Olives, just prior to the descent. And uh, so the disciples went to, to Bethphage and did what they were told. In fact, he says uh, when he sends them to go to the village, enter, you'll find a colt. No one's ever ridden it. Bring it here. If anyone asks, tell them the Lord needs it. When they were told to do that, that probably was to them just, you know, go get the car, start it up, pull it out of the driveway and, and be ready to go. It's a simple thing. And they probably didn't think much more of it than, than we would if we were told by, you know, some of our family to, to get ready to go to church. But that minor task was critically important in uh, prophecy and in scripture. There's no doubt that even though the disciples didn't know, uh, Christ was in complete control of these events and following the Father's sovereign plan. His plan to ride into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey was prophesied in Zechariah 9.9. And it was time to reveal his identity as the coming Messiah. Going back to Zechariah in uh, chapter 9, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion, Shout in triumph, daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This passage in Zechariah describes a, a young donkey, which no one's ever ridden, called a colt. And uh, it identifies that for the purpose of identifying the coming Messiah. When the disciples were sent to, to get transportation, I don't think they had any idea they were fulfilling prophecy. They just did what they were told. They were obedient. It's uh, always amazing to me that, that our Lord uses ordinary men such as you and me and the disciples to accomplish his will. Uh, we're flawed. We're broken. And, and yet he uses us to accomplish his sovereign and holy purposes. When you think of it that way, uh, it frames our obedience in a new light, don't you think? What do you think the disciples thought when they were told to do that? I doubt they spent a lot of time dwelling on it. They just did it. What do you think about the owner's response? I mean, somebody is taking their colt, their donkey from in front of their house. I mean, that's like you know pulling up and taking your car. Those were valuable commodities back then in those day and age. They used it to carry you know, things to market, to transport people. And yet, all they needed to hear was the Lord needs it to be obedient and, and give what they had of great value to the Lord. This small act of obedience by the disciples. What about us? We're told to do things for the Lord all the time. And yet, I don't think we seriously consider the implications sometimes. What's a good definition of obedience? I'll give you a couple of seconds to think of that. I'll tell you, I uh, have a definition and I can't take credit for it. Uh, I heard a life action ministry team back in the 1990s uh, that was at our church in Wichita Falls. I was a pretty new Christian at the time. And their definition of obedience, which made a great impact on me and that I memorized it, was doing what you're told to do when you're told to do it with the right heart attitude. And we have a slightly simpler version we use with our kids, which is doing what you're told to do when you're told to do it with a glad heart or with a good attitude. We've used both those. 
has three parts. Doing what you're told to do, doing it when you're told to do it, and, and with a good attitude. The disciples did all that. Do we do that? Do we do it readily? As we see in Scripture, our obedience can have significant consequences. The disciples had no idea they were fulfilling prophecy, I'm pretty sure, when they did that. At least not until later. At the time they did it, they didn't know, I suspect. And yet, we don't know from day to day when we're prompted to talk to somebody or help somebody or do something, what impact it will have for eternity. We just need to obey, to do what we're told to do, and and do it with a, a promptness and a good attitude. As Christ followers, we're sent on mission. Some tasks may seem small, some may seem bigger, but often our perspective is skewed. We don't see his picture, God's picture, and we don't know what is really important in his plan. Neither did the disciples, neither did the cult owners. They just were obedient and and did. Being faithful to whatever God has placed in our hands becomes part of God's plan when we do it. And only God knows how far our obedience will reach for him. Now let's look at the next section. After being brought the colt, the disciples spread their cloaks on the, the beast's back and then helped Jesus on. And then Jesus, as he descended the Mount of Olives toward the eastern gate of Jerusalem, they spread cloaks out on the path before him. Let's pick it up in uh, verse 35, reading uh, Luke 19:35 through 38. And they brought it to Jesus and they threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. Now as he was going, they were spreading their cloaks on the road. And as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully. And with a loud voice, all the miracles, with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Picture this. The Mount of Olives is on the eastern side of Jerusalem. So they're coming up it and going down the the western side of the hill. Across the Kidron Valley is Jerusalem. They're up high. Everybody can see them. Everybody can hear them. They're in the midst of a huge crowd pouring into Jerusalem for Passover. And then all of a sudden, people start cheering. People start praising. People start saying, Hosanna, blessed is the king. You know, that's going to get some attention in a Roman-controlled Jerusalem. And, you know, it says his disciples, but it's more than just the 12. It's likely some hundreds of people by this point. Remember, they're coming from from Bethany and through Bethphage and into Jerusalem. Bethany is where Lazarus was raised from the dead. That's where Mary and Martha lived. That's where he spent a great amount of time. And, And people there had seen Lazarus dead four days and then raised from the dead. There are a lot of followers in Bethany, and you know they're following him in this crowd. Jesus had caused the deaf to hear, the blind to see, the lame to leap, the dead to live. The evidence of God's power in Jesus was undeniable. They had seen too much to deny it. And so their praise spontaneously comes out. And I don't know if they knew it, but their praise comes from Psalm 118, 26, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Christ is worthy of all praise and honor as Messiah, as Lord, as Savior. Let's make sure we also lift up our praise to the King of kings and Lord of lords, who is worthy of all praise, just as they did. You know, 
us who are in his family, we've seen too much. We know he can take our dead hearts and make them live. We know too much to not praise him and give him credit for all that he has done for us. Do you regularly express that praise that he is due? Not just in your heart, but but outwardly to other people. For he is worthy, and we have to continue to, to, to spread that knowledge with other people. Especially as we're approaching Easter, it's a great opportunity to, to share that with others who, who don't know him or who've forgotten. Um, we must, for he is worthy. And yet, there were dissenters in this crowd. Uh, in, in the next part of this passage, Luke 19, 39 through 40, you can almost hear the, the you know, evil music here. And yet, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. The Pharisees didn't like what they were hearing, some of them anyway. And they wanted the crowd to stop praising him. Why? What were the Pharisees afraid of? Well, they didn't want the crowd to call Jesus the Messiah. And they knew exactly what that scripture meant. They knew exactly what him riding in a cult meant and what that scripture from Psalm 118 meant. They knew that scripture anointed him as the Messiah, yet they didn't recognize the Savior right in front of them. He told them to tell the disciples to be quiet, and yet Jesus replied, I tell you, if these stop speaking, the stones will cry out. The very creation yearns for the revealing of the Messiah. He wasn't kidding when he said that. If they had not proclaimed him, the world would have. God was extremely proud of his son and wanted him to be revealed at this time as the Messiah. We must be on guard against the the sin of the Pharisees in our own lives too. I mean, they had all the information. They had all the scripture and they saw it unfolding in front of them. And yet they did not recognize the Savior, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, that all of their scripture had been pointing to and that they had been studying their whole lives, they didn't recognize him for who he was. We can be in danger of that too. We can know the scriptures, but we can miss the Savior. Uh, Pastor Keith often says it in church, that being in church in Keller, Texas, as an unsaved, a lost person, on a regular basis and hearing the preaching can be dangerous if we become numb to it. You can hear the gospel every day and miss the Savior, as the Pharisees did. I know. I grew up in church and uh, was brought to church every Sunday. I knew the plan of salvation. I could explain it to you, but I did not recognize my, recognize my need of a Savior until I was 24 years old. That's 31 years ago. If you want to do the math, you can figure out how old I am. But when I was 24 and in church, I, I realized that I had a depraved heart and that I was living for myself, not for Jesus. And I accepted him as Lord and Savior that day, 31 years ago. And I I still shudder thinking about it and thinking of how lost I was and yet how sure I thought I was in my salvation before that point. I'd heard the gospel more times than I can count, even then, and yet I was lost. I missed Christ. I missed the Savior, even though I knew the narrative. If you feel like you're in this situation, if you're not sure, if you'd like to talk to somebody about it, please let me know. 
I'll be glad to talk to you about Jesus Christ, my Savior. My name's Paul Chastain. You can reach me through the church office. Or if you don't want to talk to me, you can talk to your Sunday school teacher or one of our staff members here at FBC Keller. But if you're in doubt, don't assume your salvation unless you're sure. Make sure you know Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, not as just a part of the story, not as just part of Easter. You need to know him as a personal Savior. And Jesus, as our Savior, deserves our worship and praise. And he accepted that praise from this crowd. He was descending into Jerusalem, and he allowed them to proclaim him, where before it wasn't time, he had told them not to say this, but now he allowed them to proclaim who he was, knowing that creation would cry out if they did not praise him. Jesus is worthy to be worshipped. His substitutionary death on the cross, which he was going to, is necessary and sufficient for our salvation and acceptance by God the Father. If you look at Acts 4.12, it says there is no salvation in anyone else except Jesus Christ. There's no name under heaven given by people to which they may be saved except Jesus. Think about that. He is the only way. Think on that as we prepare for Easter. And you'll realize we have to praise him. We're saved. There's nothing more valuable than that salvation. And Jesus is the one responsible for it. He died in our place. I'll leave you with a couple of thoughts as you finish up this lesson and as we get ready for Easter. What stirs your heart to worship Christ? Spend some time thinking about that. Sometimes it helps me to write those things down because there's, there's so much to be thankful for in our lives. I mean, we're very privileged. We live in the United States. We have freedom to worship. We have great prosperity, more than we deserve, sometimes more than we can handle. It gets in the way and distracts us sometimes. We need to get past that and remember that every part of that is a gift of God. And with that is a responsibility to use it to glorify Him. Think about what the priorities in your life are as you celebrate Easter this coming week. Ask yourself, is your focus on him or on all the activities and busyness of the celebration of Easter and and on life in general? Let your focus be on him and him alone. Thanks so much for your time and attention to to God's word today. Have a wonderful Palm Sunday and uh, set your heart on Christ, our Savior and Lord, as we look toward Easter next weekend. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for who you are, for your love, for grace for us, for being our Lord and our Savior. You are worthy of all honor and praise. Thank you for this scripture that reminds us who you are, reminds us of of who we are in you, and that outside of you, we're nothing, but in you, we're part of your body, part of your hands and feet. Help us to be obedient to you and to your will and not be distracted by our our selfish pride. Embolden us to, to do the job of spreading your word to those around us because we're in a world of, of dead people, of people who don't know you. And you have come to, to set them free, to free the captives, to bring the dead back to life. That's why you came in the first place and that's what you're still doing to this very day. Help us to take that seriously. It is our most important job. Thank you for watching over our church during this challenging year. 
And uh, thank you for loving us. Thank you most of all for the salvation we have in you. In Christ's name, amen.